Yeah, I'm grateful for all the Lord has done. I can't, uh, that weight from the song, you know, what a beautiful name. that You have no rival, amen, <laughs> and no equal. And uh, the application in our lives, you know, that, that goes a whole lot further than you might think on the surface. That he has no rival, including everything in the ebb and flow of our lives. No rival, no equal. What a powerful name it is, right? And right there in Ephesians, we get the message that the Apostle Paul gives us. That truly, there is no rival to the name of Jesus. Um, we'll talk about it again today, that there's no reasonable comprehension of just how much our God loves us. And there's also no reasonable comprehension of the power that he has. And then he reminds us that this same Christ that was risen from the dead, by that same power, he dwells inside of us today. Amen? That he has no rival and he has no equal. He is uh, forever ruling and reigning. What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. What a powerful name it is that lives inside of you and me. If we would tap into that and stay in the spirit. Amen? And stay there. It is the truth of God's word. And I'm uh, excited about the book of Ephesians. And I hope you are. Hope you are. I hope it's been a blessing to you over these past few weeks. I figured out last night I had too much to say, so I'm going to do it again next week too, yeah? So I think we'll only get through chapter 5 today. And um, just uh, it's, it's been a really good walk for me. I did entitle it Who We Are Because of Who Jesus Is. And speaking to the idea in the book of Ephesians that the Apostle Paul takes three chapters and he gives us good doctrine and he gives us a good picture of who we are and our identity and who, because of who Christ is, who he made us to be if we would but just live in the Spirit and walk in him. And he gives us this beautiful picture of who our God is and then in relation to that when we submit to him and when we're blood-bought believers, who we are as a result. And then in those last three chapters, four, five, and six that we started last time we were together that he says, okay, now you've got your position and we understand doctrine well and who we can be because of who Jesus is and who we are because of who Jesus is. Now we walk that out. Last night we talked about it and uh, I said I'm not trying to be political at all. I know it's um, political season. But I, wanna, I think it's the best example that, that might resonate in our minds that when you have a president of the United States and I asked people last night too to imagine that you were elected the president of the United States in November, right? That you personally were. And you receive this position, and along with that position comes this great weight, comes this authority that you walk in, and comes this expectation that because of your position that you would act presidentially, right? Understanding that sometimes you probably will not, because you're not a perfect person. But you don't lose your position or the office of the presidency because you might not be acting presidentially today, right? And I submit to you that the position that we've been given in Christ, and even though it would be a tough thing for us to get through our minds, is even more powerful than the presidency of the leader of the free world today because our position that we've been given in Christ is eternal, right? That even the presidency of the United States of America, you know, is temporal, Right? This world is temporal, but what we have been given has more weight. It is eternal, and it lasts for forever. And the position that we've been given in Christ is powerful, and it is good, and it is important, and it's something that the enemy would love nothing more than to keep us distracted from so that we don't walk out these first three chapters that the, that the Apostle Paul has laid out so clearly who we can be and who our God is and that he prays that we would have an intimate knowledge of this God. And again, we have an enemy that would keep us from understanding that intimate knowledge of God, right? 
And um, so I want to remind us really quick before I get too far, and um, I'm going to slow down. I was talking to uh, Alma Thompson this week, and she was like, man, you were picking it up and putting it down. And then she was like, I was trying to keep up last time you were with us, but I couldn't do it. So I am. I'm going to try to calm down. You know, that's not my nature. This is good stuff, you know, so I tend to fly through it. And, um, so I'm going to slow down. All right, but anyway, I do want to remind you of the history because it is very important. This uh, book, if you haven't been with us, you're visiting with us today, thank you. If you missed one of them along the way, um, the church at Ephesus was established on Paul's second missionary journey. And then on the third one, he stayed with them for three years. So he knew these people well. He loved them. And as he left, you can go read it. And I encourage you to in Acts chapter 20. He told these people, hold the line and do not let... um, new ways of thought and teaching corrupt the gospel. Paul urged Timothy to stay there with them. And then in Acts chapter 28, um, Paul is in prison. He's preaching the gospel, not really understanding or knowing what the future may hold, whether it be death or permanent imprisonment imprisonment or what. So um, he begins to write these letters from prison years later. And Ephesians is one of those letters. So we started, if you don't know, 21 days in Ephesians, and we're doing a study together devotionally through the book of Ephesians. How many of you have already finished it? You're two weeks early. You know that? No, I'm good. I'm, I'm really glad. Man, it's, it's been good. It's been great to see your comments rolling through. Um, those of you who are um, participating electronically, and this has been an encouragement to know that we're all reading the same thing together. Now, who is on track? Do you know? Do you know? Okay, Miss Tracy's on track. She listened to the timeline. So (laughs) um, anyway, 21 days in Ephesians, it has been a blessing, and we're going devotionally through. And if we follow the timeline, then you would complete this by 10-4, October the 4th, and would take you through chapter 5 and 6 for the next couple weeks. If you want to be engaged in this, you don't know how, you can go to our website. You can click there, and it'll lead you to um, Bible.com, or you can find it on your own Bible app, or there are physical copies out in in the lobby. And if you need help with that, let us know. So who we are because of who Jesus is. So um, a reminder of where we've been so far, just really quickly. Um, I think it's really important that we do that. Because as you get to the power and the words of chapter 5 and 6, it is important that we understand what the Apostle Paul has already said. And to take these chapters in context. Today, chapter 5 is a really tough chapter because he's going to talk um, heavily about sin. And it would be something that some of us, if we plucked chapter 5 out of the book of Ephesians, not considering what the Apostle Paul has said before that, it could allow us to build this case of a works-based salvation. It could allow us to live in guilt and shame, right? And fear of God. And it could cause us to, you know, that um, kind of hellfire and brimstone um, kind of deal. Chapter 5 can be that way, but we need to look at it in the context. So I just want to hit it really quick where we've been so far, that we have to understand the Apostle Paul as he sits down and he's writing from prison, he is writing to the church, to the universal church, that he gives this really good explanation of what that is. And if we see it in its context, each one of us are a part of that universal church, but particularly to the, to the um, Ephesian people here, to the Ephesian church. He calls them holy that we are holy. We talked about the righteousness that we have because of who Jesus is and all that he has done, that we live in peace because of his grace, and we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. And this is going to come back up again and become even more relevant as the Apostle Paul writes chapter 5, that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing that is necessary for us to live the lives that God has called for us to live, that if he asks us to be holy, he does not leave us without the tools that are necessary to walk in holiness. Amen? 
All right, so he's going he's gonna to lay that out really well. Paul prays in chapter 1, and he's praying that we would have this intimate knowledge of God. And what we talked about there is that we don't just know facts and figures. We don't, can't just um, regurgitate Scripture and memorize things and know things about God, but we want to know him intimately, right? That the knowledge of God about him leads us to his presence on a daily basis where we understand him and we know him in an intimate and personal kind of a way. Amen? So the Apostle Paul prays that our eyes would be open, that our eyes would be open um, to the Holy Spirit that lives in us and that we, the church, are complete in Christ. And we talked about that at length last time, that we are completed only in this intimate knowledge of our Creator, and we've been given that opportunity through Christ, that if we live apart from Him, then we will continually try to fill that void with other things and with stuff, understanding that complete satisfaction in this life will never come apart from this intimate knowledge of God. So then chapter 2 says that we were dead in sin. Who am I because of who Jesus is? I was dead in sin, but no longer. But God, it says there in chapter 2, who is so rich in mercy, right? He made us a new creature. That John chapter 3, Jesus and Nicodemus talking experience. We were born again, given a new nature, right? That the old has passed away and, and the new is here. And then one of my favorite parts that I had missed before that hadn't really stuck in my mind really about Ephesians as something that um, really compared to something like the armor of God or the end of chapter 3, right? That sticks in your minds if you've read or studied Ephesians before. But this part has just stuck in the fabric of my thinking um, for the past few weeks, and I'm grateful for it, that we are like trophies of grace rather than recipients of God's wrath, that if God ever needed an example of his great grace and his great mercy, he can just point no further than my life, right, and your life, and that should excite us. We are all one body, that no one is an outsider, that not one of us is, we are a brotherhood, we are a sisterhood, each of us blood-bought believers, and no one is an outsider who has been brought into this family. And um, he, each one of us are a, a, a building block in what God is doing, in this building that he is making, Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In chapter 3, last time we said that we are loved beyond um, reasonable comprehension. This is where the Apostle Paul says, don't, you know, we can't really understand God's love, but how high, how wide, how long, how deep is God's love for us, right? And rather than focusing on our physical circumstances, that we focus our sights on this love that he has revealed to us, that God himself came in the flesh and gave himself on your behalf and on mine. Amen? He rose again from the dead after he was buried, and he's alive today in me and in you. Amen? It's good stuff. We serve a God who is able, the Apostle Paul says, and he says that he would have us to um, understand this, to be strong in the Spirit, not lethargic and not beat down, but in the presence of God, understanding who he is, and he gives this beautiful um, doxology that says, now, now unto this God, right? Yes, who is able to do more than I can even think that he can do. Be glory to him in the church. Amen? Yeah. So in chapter 4, this is where it breaks over, and he says, this is who we are because of who he is. Now, this is your position, right? Now walk 
in your position. Walk worthy of the things that he has given us. Now walk in what he has given you to walk in. Live in unity and forgiving one another and loving one another. Exercising our gifts, that five-fold ministry that he talks about there, that we not be influenced by every new wind of doctrine. And if you just scratch the surface in the Christian church today, there are some new winds of doctrine. Amen? No, but we stick to the word, to the word. That we take off the old, right? And we live in the new. That as individual people who therefore make up a collective body of Christ, that we make it a practice to leave the old behind. He made me new, a new creature in Christ. But it does not take away from the fact that I still live in this flesh and bone and I'm still susceptible to temptation. And I'm still susceptible to losing my faith in when I'm going through trials or circumstances. Amen? And I'm still susceptible to these things. But he says, take off the old and continually put on the new. And he gives a good list here in chapter 4. Now, as we go to chapter 5 today... Um, He's just going to continue this thought. So just because the chapter breaks and a new one starts does not mean that he is finished. He has not finished this thought. He's still talking about putting on the new things, right? Putting on what um, the Lord has asked us to be and to do and to take off that old stuff, right? To take it off and be done with it. So he's going to continue in chapter 5, and you can read right there. I'm going King James today. And um, so you should be able to follow along either on your Bible app and whatever version you want to or um, right, there, right there in your Bible. I'll try to keep up with the verses. So as we start chapter 5 or before we do, let's just, let's just pray. Settle ourselves, yeah? Lord, we look for you to speak. And that we wouldn't just hear another message today, but like Dr. Miller has already said this morning, that we would leave changed, renewed, encouraged in your presence, lifted up from the encouragement of your word, from the encouragement that it is to belong to you, lifted up from the fact that we are loved beyond reasonable, comp reasonable comprehension. And God, I just ask that you would help us to take the free will that you have given for us to live in, that you would allow us um, and give us the strength and the will that comes from you anyway, to turn that free will back over to you and say, Lord, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Pliable hearts in his hand this morning. So he says, be therefore followers of God as dear children. Be a follower of God or imitate. Some versions of this would say, imitate God is the word here that begins chapter 5. And it's almost like you might ask the question, well, how do I do that? How do I imitate God? And it's very clear by walking in love. And number two says, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. So you look at the life of Christ, and the life of Christ is compared to a sweet-smelling savor in the nostrils of our God. And in preparation for this and looking from it, I just felt like I, I had a question for my own self. That what about my own actions and my attitude and my being and who I am and how I live and walk on a daily basis? If all that stuff could be gathered up and put out in the middle of the floor somewhere and set on fire, what would that smell like to God? You know, my actions and my attitude and who I am. And I'm telling you, like, this chapter 5 hurts my toes, you know. And it's good stuff, right? 
because that means I'm a son. You remember that it says there in the word that, that a father chastens the son that he loves. So here, my actions, my attitudes, my words, how I treat people, you know, the meditation of my mind, where my heart stays. If, if the scent of my life rose up to the Lord as it does, would it be like Jesus? What would it smell like to the Lord? And I do believe that we serve a God who has a very particular sense of smell. <laughs> We've been given free will. That's a fact, right? That our Creator has given us in His providence and by design given us the free will to do whatever we want to do, to be whoever we want to be, right? Without his intervention, if we so wish, right? Not to say that he doesn't still protect those who are away from him, but he's given us the ability to do whatever we want to do and be whoever we want to be. And in this, this sweet smell and savor, you, you don't see it here in Ephesians, but you do see it in the life of the Apostle Paul. He says that he lives his life as an offering poured out before the Lord, right? That moment by moment, we're saying, God, what do you want? And then I'll submit to that. And I believe what he's saying here is that is the example that we follow as we imitate Christ. That's what we do. That we don't live and operate in what we want, right? We see it clearly even in the garden in one of the most trying times in the life of Christ. He says, really, I don't, I don't want anything to do with this. Let this cup pass from me. This is not what I want. Nevertheless, right? Lord, have your way. Have your will. Do what you want and have your way for your kingdom and for your glory in my life. That smells sweet to the Lord. To turn our free will around and have this acknowledgement, yeah, I can do and be whatever I want. But I turn that back over to the Lord and say, have your way. Amen? Do what you would like in my life, Lord. This is number three. And he gives a contrast to the negative stuff. But fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becomes the saints, neither filthiness or foolish talking. That's the words that we use or jesting, those jokes that we tell that could be harmful or hurtful to other people, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. Rather, giving of thanks. We have a responsibility to abstain from evil, he's saying here. He gives this list, and I don't believe it's just an exhaustive list, right? I think you could, you could put a whole lot of other things here in this blank. He says, For this you know that no whoremonger, no unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things comes the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. He's saying we do not get involved with these things. That we, his people, let these things not be named among us. That if the people from outside of this church were to be in our lives, you know, and they come in and they sit down, would some of this ugliness, would any filth be named among us? In the secret places when nobody else sees, would some of these ugly things be named among us? And he says, let that not be. 
Now, what I was talking about before, if you pluck these verses out of chapter 5, you could build a case for a works-based salvation. And that's some of the environment that I came from. You know, not recently, but when I was first saved, I mean, I was really convinced, y'all, that, that this least little thing, sinners in the hands of an angry God, and even though I'd been saved, you know, I'm like on a spider web, and God has the scissors, and if I mess up, man, it's, it's done, you know? And if we make that case out of this, we're wrongly applying. What he is saying here is that these things are what is, what are what is identifiable in an unbeliever's life and not those of a believer. That these things, these filthy things, let them not be named among us. And don't you know that people who walk in this way, they're not believers. That this is not us. That let's not these things be named among us. And what he's saying here in verse 6, look at it. Let no man deceive you. With vain words, for because of these things comes the wrath of God. When you look into the language here, what he's saying is don't among yourselves make excuses for sin. Because the enemy will come in and he'll have us believe in a lie in a minute. Amen? Not to make excuses for sin. We hear things like, well, you know, I'm blood bought and on my way to heaven, but I got these character flaws. You know what that means? I'm making an excuse for sin. Right? In my life, and he's saying that should not be named among us. Don't make excuses for sin and call it just a character flaw. And those things in chapter 4 that he said to take off, he means take it all off, right? And there's also this positive action that says it's not about all, just about all the things that we could be doing wrong and that show up wrong in our lives, but we should be putting on some very particular things also. And to walk in that way and let these things not be named among us. In chapter 1, he tells us that we have been provided with every single thing that we need. Every spiritual blessing we need to walk the kind of lives that God has asked for us to walk. And he would have us to be holy as he is holy. He would have us to walk in holiness, right? Consecrated to him. Yes? He would. He would have us to be those people. Nobody needs to tell us. Remember this from yesterday, that nobody needs to tell us what is wrong. We don't necessarily need a particular list to figure out what is God's will for my life or what am I supposed to be doing or how would he have my conduct to be, whether it's throwing off the old stuff or putting on the new stuff. I remember um, I was about six years old, and going back, God gives us this really good ability to be able to figure out what he wants, you know, in these simple kind of a way, you know. And it took me back to when I was about six years old. And it's the first thing, I'm not saying it's the first time I did something wrong. Of course not. I mean, I'm sure I did something wrong well before that. But consciously, looking back in my memory, I remember this particularly. I was about six years old, food line, right? Let me set it up for you. It's a late night, trying to find dinner stuff. We're in the line. And those evil people who put candy on the eye level of a six-year-old, you know, set it all up for you. And I remember I grabbed this spree candy, didn't even know what it was. It's not like it was my favorite or anything. It just was attractive to me. It was very colorful, and I was ready to eat some spree candy. And I, and I held it up to my mom and was like, can I have this? And she said, no, I remember it distinctly. And I was like, all right, so I put it back. And you know how the enemy does. He comes in and he'll whisper and give you all these reasons why it might be okay and that it might not really be wrong. But you know how I knew it was wrong? I didn't grow up in church. I didn't have any kind of doctrine at all in me. But I do know this. I felt like my stomach was about to come through my throat. 
And now I understand that's the Holy Spirit saying, do not do that. Don't do it, right? But I let my desire for that candy, right, take over a little bit. And you know, in that moment when you break what God is telling you to do, it's just not so sweet, is it? It's just not even as good as I thought it was going to be. So I thought I was slick, and I'm sitting over here in the passenger seat, and I'm eating my spree candy, and then I found out the truth before I ever heard the scripture that be sure your sin will find you out. <laughs> and my mother was like, what are you doing? And then I kind of blank. I'm not, I'm not sure what happened after that, you know? You know what I'm saying? She hit me hard, you know? <laughs> no. she, I mean, she really did. She beat me, and I'm, I'm grateful for it. So, um, so looking into that, we don't need anybody to tell us what's wrong. We know what God wants, right? We know as Christian people that rather than taking on these things, allowing these things to begin to infiltrate our lives and making excuses for sin and those things, that we are instead these people who pull up to the table, understanding that my spiritual sustenance does not come from food, right? It can't come from stuff. But if I want this new man that God has created to be alive and victorious and living in the correct direction and being in God and being satisfied in him, that I've got to pull up to the table, right? I've got to come to his word and I've got to be regular in prayer and I've got to not just be about um, praying, you know, the ABCs or whatever, but really get into the presence of God and pour my heart out before him on a daily basis. There's a man, there's a book that I, um, that I really love and it's called, um, I, I've said it to you before, um, Practice the Presence of God. And I believe that we see this stuff unfold or these principles unfold in what the Apostle Paul is saying here. And it came from a series of interviews by, um, from a man named Brother Lawrence. And he said um, one of the most impactful pieces in that little book is that he said it was his goal to practice being in God's presence on a, on a moment-by-moment basis. This is a John chapter 15 kind of experience where Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, Abide in me. Stay in me. Don't go anywhere. Stay in my presence. And here in this book, he says that he finally got to the point where he began to acknowledge God in every moment, that it became no more beneficial for him to steal away and pray somewhere than it was for him to consult the Lord while he was washing dishes, right? To not forget about the Lord, to not make him a week-by-week kind of afterthought or a forethought of the coming week, right? That we don't forget about God or just run to him when um, things get tough, right? And begin to treat him like Aladdin and the genie. You know, that's not our God. Our God is personal and he is intimate and he is close and he wants to be with us. And he, Paul says here, he wants us to know him intimately and this stuff naturally just falls off. And as we obey him, he shows us what to put on. So let's not make excuses for sin, but let's be close to the Lord. Amen? So here, do not get involved and care for one another in discipline. When he's talking about bringing sin out into the light, he is not referring to a believer and an unbeliever, right? So you're not going to your job, somebody that don't know anything about anything, they don't know Jesus. We're not just going to go and call their sin out right in front of them and you know, thump them upside the head with the Bible, you know, but what he is saying here, or, you know, believer to believer, that I wouldn't see something that you're doing and then stand here on the steps of the altar in front of everybody and say, hey, um, so-and-so needs to fix that. That's not what it is either, because that's hurtful and not helpful, but what he is saying here, do not be partakers with them. Don't be involved. 
For you were sometimes darkness, right? You were. Amen? Every single one of us can look, you know, push the rewind button and, and probably wouldn't take us real far um, or real long to find some darkness that has been in our lives. But now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Be these people. And you can. In him and in his strength you can. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Proving what is acceptable to the Lord. What is acceptable to the Lord. Do not get involved. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Rather reprove them or, or rebuke those things among one another. So instead of having fellowship with ugliness, we'll call that out as a friend. Remember it says there in Proverbs that faithful are the wounds of a friend. That's it. That we are like iron sharpening iron and we should help one another and keep one another accountable and on that road that we want to be in as believers. For it is a shame to even speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever does make manifest is light. Wherefore he says, Awake thou that sleepest. Rise from the dead and Christ will give you light. As we close out on chapter 5 for today, now the back half of chapter 5 and the front half of chapter 6, the Apostle Paul gives us really clear instructions on particular relationships and how to walk out our lives, and we're not going to get there, but I want to land right here. Wherefore, he says, Awake thou that sleepest. Arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. In another way, awake, O sleeper, Rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. And Christ will give you light. Where did this come from? This is a quote. So these are not original words of the Apostle Paul. And when you look into um, where this could have come from, if it is a scriptural reference, and it could be a conglomeration of scripture, maybe possibly from Isaiah, but not a particular space. So it could be, it could come from just um, a, a couple of them that the Apostle Paul put together and kind of paraphrased what was there. Or some ideas is that this, um, that this particular line came from maybe a hymn that they would sing in the day that we don't have now. Um, but wherever you figure it came from, I think the Apostle Paul has a really clear message for us that we have a God who asks for us to live in a particular way, and that is in an intimate knowledge of who he is, to walk in holiness, right? To go in that direction. And rather than be beat down in guilt or shame or understand, you know, you might be sitting here thinking, you know, maybe I have not pulled up to the table and read God's word and asked him to speak to me in a long time. Or maybe I'm not consistent in prayer. Or maybe I don't, or maybe some of this stuff on the list has entered my life in the recent history. Or might, you might be sitting there and it's in your life right now. And the Apostle Paul has a very particular message and that is he just says, wake up. He does not say, go get born again, again. He does not say God hates you, right? That God is ashamed of who you have become. He just says, wake up, sleeper, lift your head. Because when you look into the book of Ephesians, it's very clear that we're meant for very different lives than that, that are victorious, 
that are impactful for his kingdom, that know him and that know him well. What he's saying is just today, align yourself and your free will with what God wants in your life. That we have this good understanding that there is not a thing that you can do about the past. Beginning right now and just a few seconds ago, all the way back as far as you want to go, there's not a thing that you're going to be able to do about that. I had Kathleen in my head this week, which is a really scary thing, you know. Um, she says this thing. Um, if I've messed up or if I forget about doing something or I show up late, which like rarely ever happens, um, <laughs> Miss Karen just laughed audibly. That's beat up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so um, she has this thing that she says that has been an encouragement to me that has just carried um, in my mind and in my heart. And she says, shame off you. Shame off you, you know? Let that shame fade away. Isn't it just like the enemy when we mess up to try to keep us in this place where we come to the presence of God and we've asked for forgiveness and we have moved on, right? But isn't it just like the enemy to bring that stuff back up when we try to pray? It's just like him to whisper that ugly lie that God is still mad at you and somehow you need to, you need to work you need to prove your worth to God again, and you need to offer some sort of a penance, right? That is a lie. That's a new wind of doctrine. There is therefore now no condemnation for us. None. <laughs> That's his word. And I stand holy and righteous in his presence. And I just want to get up from this place and act like it's still, right? I want to wake up from my sleep and live in him. No condemnation. There's conviction, most certainly, but there is no condemnation for those of us who belong to Christ. It's very clear that he is faithful and just to forgive us, cleanse us from any unrighteousness. So next week we'll talk about it, standing in what is the truth rather than a lie. I remember... Um, uh, I'll be done right here. Um, some of you know I used to run buses. You know, this came to my mind when I was reading this scripture. I used to run buses. And what I mean by that is I get up earlier than anybody ever should have to. And um, in my world. Uh, and you get there and my little piece of the puzzle had 80 buses and 80 drivers and um, parents calling or mad and things in the morning and it's too early to be dealing with those kinds of things or answering the radio. Somebody's either um, missing or mad, um, something like that, you know, <laughs> or maybe somebody doesn't show up, then I'll jump on a bus and do those kinds of things. Anyway, so I had this position that was important for me to be running um, well early in the morning. And this came to my mind this week, and I want to share it to you, with you because I just, I heard it very clearly. Um, I believe, from the Lord. And uh, I remember those mornings, and some of you guys will identify where um, the clock would be going off super early. Now, for, I want to be clear. My early might not be your early. Some of you men have probably woken up at 4.35 o'clock. Raise your hand. Is that you? For, for half of or your working life, you know, so you get used to it, and um, you're, you're probably not going to appreciate my... Um, my um, complaining today. However, 
I was, I, I'm a bit of a night owl, you know, so even in those days, you know, we just get busy watching a show or reading something or playing a game on our phone or something, and by the time I look up, it might be 12 or 1 o'clock, you know, and that was probably dumb, especially in those days um, when I know the clock's going to go off 530, and um, so, but m- most of us, if not all of us, will understand what it is to be laying there, and I got to roll into my routine today. And the clock is going off, and I'm just not feeling it, you know? (laughs) Not today. I'm ready to push snooze, you know? And a lot of times I would. If there was a particularly hard morning, that clock goes off at 5.30, I push snooze till about 6. You know, push the gas really hard, and most days make it there on time, you know? And uh, I just remember in that time, I just found... Even on those days, if I could just get my feet out of the bed, you know, if I could just swing my feet and let them hit the floor, right, and stand up for a second, and if I could just make it to the bathroom and begin to feel the steam of a hot shower, right, I find that by the time I've got some coffee and some loud music on the way to work, that's me, you know, but some loud music that I feel like, you know, I wasn't feeling it just about 15 minutes ago, but I feel good now. You know, I feel like I'm in it now, and I can get there, and I'll answer the radio and do this stuff, and I'm in my element, and everything is fine, you know? Y'all know what I'm talking about? But just 15, 20 minutes ago, I was like, man, I just don't even know that I can do it today, you know? In the spirit, some of us may be away, sleep, and we hear it. The alarm is going off and the Holy Spirit is calling us close, right? But we're so distracted or asleep or worried about other things that we're just not feeling it and we neglect. We continue to push snooze. You know how it is that sometimes maybe you didn't read today and then there's a certain time in the day or a certain time in the evening that you'll remember. It's like the Lord is calling you to his word, saying you've got to remember Today is the day, as every other day, to pull up and receive your sustenance from the Spirit of the living God today, understanding that I will continue to be a lethargic Christian and not walking in victory if I'm not approaching His Word, if I'm not intimately praying with God the Father because of the right that I've been given through the blood of Christ, that if I neglect those things, you can hear The alarm's going off. You hear the Lord. You hear the Holy Spirit calling you close. You hear him if there's some of this filthiness in our lives. You hear the Lord saying, get rid of that. Take that off. And we push snooze on it maybe because we put priority over our own feelings, over over our own whatever it is that you want to put in that blank. Then we put more priority there than we do on the word of God and what he has to say. And I just want to echo what the Apostle Paul is saying. Wake up. If you could just get your feet out of the bed, if you could just pull up to the table, get to his word, get to God in prayer, it won't be long before you're like, man, I can feel his presence again. Amen? I feel him leading. I hear his voice well again, leading me and guiding me. Amen? And there's not probably one of us sitting in this room who have not strayed away since we've gotten saved, you know? 
shame off you. However, get in it. Roll your feet out of the bed and allow him to speak again. Allow his voice to be the loudest one. Walk in victory again, right? Remember to take those things in prayer that bother us the most and turn this thing around on those things and understand that these things will not merit enough of my time to distract me from what is the most important. Amen? We're going to pray together and Dr. Miller's going to come. God, thank you for your presence and thank you for who you are. Lord, I pray that you would just give us a mind to be close to you. That, Lord, if we're away from you in the spirit, that you would just help us to, um, just to move our feet out of the bed, to stand up once again, to come to your word, to pull up to your table, understanding that the sustenance we need and what we need to be fulfilled in this life only comes from an intimate knowledge of who you are. God, if any ugliness has crept into our lives, God, I know that you can give victory over those things. And even though it seems hard that when we turn our eyes on you, we turn our eyes on you and those things just fade away as the old hymn says. God, I pray that you would just help us to understand and to prioritize and to know that this position that you have given us to live in is so important. It's the most important thing. And God, I pray that you just help us to rid ourselves from any distraction that would keep us from your presence and to keep us from living the lives that you have called us to live. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for conviction. God, I thank you that we are no longer under condemnation. God, I thank you that you do every time. Every time that we come and we submit ourselves to you and we ask for forgiveness for these things, that you are faithful and you're just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, I thank you for the spirit that you're going to place inside of every one of us to wake up and to stay alert and to be alert and to take off the things that you say and to put on the things that you also say. God, I just pray that you would give us a mind that is about righteousness. God, that you would stir up a hunger and a thirst in our hearts like we've never known for your word and for righteousness. And that as we sit down to read your word, Lord, that you would just um, stave off the enemy and distractions and that we would hear straight and directly from your voice because that is the spiritual sustenance that we need to be able to live this life that you've called for us to live. God, thank you for what you provide and thank you for who you are. And thank you for the encouragement that comes from belonging to you. Lord, we lift you up. And Lord, help us to lift you up in our actions and in our attitudes that our lives as we move from this place will be a sweet smelling savor just like Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.